This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. I'm your co-host, Andy Larson. You're right there? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, cool. Yeah, you sound great. I'm glad. I'm uh, the Utah. I'm the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, managing editor of Salt City Hoops, the Utah Jazz affiliate, uh, true hoop affiliate for ESPN.com. Um, and with me as Ben Anderson, KSL.com contributor, is and just multifaceted TV host, um, no. NBA expert, as and actually today. you are a big draft guy. Yeah, that's Which my thing. What, yeah. That's like, if I could be anything covering the NBA or anything in media, I'd love to cover the NBA draft. I'm actually not sure, other than, you know, Jonathan Gavoni, the NBA actually needs it. It's not like the NFL draft that takes four days and has 600 prospects. But, yeah, I love the draft. I love getting ready for this time of year. And it's been fun to have the draft workouts, even though maybe I'm wrong. Does it feel like the Jazz have had fewer workouts and they're just going to really gear up over the next two weeks? Because two weeks from tonight is the draft. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Walt Perrin said was like actually a conscious choice by the Jazz is they wanted to do fewer workouts this year and kind of give themselves more time to watch video of these guys and, and kind of get together in rooms and talk about the prospects. So I guess that, that's what they're ended up doing right now. Because that was something that Dennis Lindsay, when he came to the Jazz, he said he wanted to do. He wanted to make sure there was no stone left unturned. And a lot of that was about interviewing the player and then interviewing the people around the player and getting to know the people from the school. Right. Maybe they're realizing that that's not the best way to spend their time and that sometimes the video is going to tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, I would say I think they're still turning over those stones with the guys that matter is is kind of the way I would look at it. And so, you know, when you bring in over 100 guys in a 60 draft, in a 60 man draft class, it it may it may just be too much when you it's a lot. You, know, you aren't going to be drafting half of those guys. Now, that being said, the Jazz are still bringing in you know, I would say so. They brought in about forty-five players so far. I would say thirty of those guys that they've brought in so far, maybe twenty-five to thirty, ha- aren't going to be drafted. Are undraftable. You know, they're, sure, they're just—they're not going to be. They're not in any of the mocks. Everyone kind of agrees that these are free agent kind of prospects. But um, I think it does make some sense if if they do get some benefit from that. Anyway, what we want to do on the show today is again because we do like to focus on the Jazz, and we're just two weeks away from the NBA draft. We want to break down the Jazz prospects. We've been watching a lot of video over the, over the last month, two months. And then, of course, watching college basketball during the season sure. a little bit, too. So, um, What a pleasure that is. <laughs> it's our favorite thing to do oh, when... Who uh, doesn't love that? There are no a NBA good Jan- A good on. January college basketball game. Ah, lovely. Um, as always, we want your guys' feedback, what you guys think about these prospects as well, and any questions you have for us. You can tweet us at Andy B. Larson is my handle, at Ben K. Fan is Ben's. Uh, and you can also call us 877-353-0700. Let's, let's get started with some of these guys. What do you say? Well, l- let me ask you this. Okay. First of all, who so far the Jazz have worked out? And, and I'm just going to take you back to a couple of guys who I've been impressed with physically when I've seen them coming in for a workout. And it, it matters. It really does matter. Rudy Gobert is the one I always talk about. I, I just have never heard an audible gasp from so many reporters because generally no one's blown away by anyone. You've just seen mm. these guys. You've talked to p- players up close. They're all big. I mean, that's the secret. Every player in the NBA is huge. You just kind of get used to it. 
I remember seeing Rudy for the first time and being taken aback by how big he was. Has there been anyone who you thought like, whoa, that guy's a different level physically than anyone else we've seen that actually has a chance to get drafted? Not, who is it, Mustafa Fall? Yeah, you saw, there, there are two Falls, okay. or actually three Falls. There's Taco Fall, Taco Fall. who was ac- absolutely also incredible. He's yeah. seven foot six, right. uh, you know, even lankier than Rudy Gobert. Um, Yusuf Fall was the guy who was in yesterday. He's seven foot four, and he has the longest standing reach in the history of the Draft Express database. Bigger he's than Rudy. nine foot nine. Oh, yeah. and Rudy's nine seven. And he's right. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the other guy who, who's you know not impressive just from like a height and length point of view, but just from a size point of view, I thought was uh, who am I? For? Oh, Semi Ojale. Okay, uh, was in here yeah. Monday. And he's just so bulky. Like he is just, right. he just has cannons for arms. Well, it's, it's, and I bet you that's why he went to Duke, right? Right out of high school, you, because he was a man child in high school. And then maybe they realized, like, hey, you're not fully Duke material. You could probably find yourself better somewhere else. Yeah. So he, again, he played two years at Duke, transferred, and then went to SMU last year um, and, and did really well, kind of made himself into a legitimate prospect. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you stand around that guy and you're like, okay, this guy is physically ready to play in the NBA right now. Yeah. He's also the oldest draft prospect in the first round. Right. So, you know, maybe that's where you get a lot of production from is beating up on 19 and 20-year-olds because you're a a man at that point where a lot of guys aren't. I would say this. I mean, I I wish if there was one thing that, that, you know, listeners or or anyone who's a fan of the draft who doesn't, isn't lucky enough like you have been and I've been in the past to get to cover some of these draft workouts, I wish you could see these guys up close Mm -hmm. because some guys you can see and say, whoa. That's a project. That guy's going to take mm-hmm. a long time. I mean, I will tell you, one of the people I was, and this, I wasn't even covering the draft at the point, but was the first time I saw Gordon Hayward, it was post-Butler. The Jazz brought him in for a private workout that I don't think they announced even because I think he worked out a couple of times for the Jazz. He was physically unimpressive. Yeah. He had tiny little Corey Brewer-like legs coming out of college. Like He was thin. For the Jazz to be able to say, we can take that body and turn it into what we've seen now, that's just great draft work. Seeing these guys up close before the draft, I think, is actually one of the more interesting things you can do. I was having this argument with someone uh, earlier this week on kind of what's more important, because we've now kind of talked about both sides of that, right? Like, there are the, the, the Rudy Gobert's that are so physically impressive, and then there's the Gordon Haywards who absolutely, coming out of the draft, are not physically impressive, yeah. but they have a huge skill level. Yeah. Do you, do you think that it's easier to to make it in the NBA with the high skill level coming in, or or just you have to have the tools uh, in order to succeed at some level? In, in, I mean, it just takes so many different things, and it's funny to talk to a, like a Walt Parent about what a guy needs, and he'll tell him like, it doesn't matter if you're six nine if you're all torso. Like, right. If you don't have long legs, there's a good chance you're not going to make it. Like no matter how tall you are, because they can't improve certain parts of your body to get to the point where you're at that NBA level. And then, I mean, you really do need to be so skilled. I mean, even the worst players are so un- ridiculously skilled by the time they get to the NBA. These guys don't miss when they're wide open shooting yeah. hardly ever. I mean, you, you really takes a ridiculous talent. And that's that's kind of what I'm thinking of is is maybe the NBA has transitioned more to a skill league in recent years. Is that is that fair to say? Than just a physical body than perspective. A physical, yeah. It seems like you're seeing a big variety of bodies, but then again, maybe the big bodies are just having to be more skilled than they ever had to be in the past. I guess that's what I would say is I, I don't know that you can get away with only being a body and not being skilled. I mean, maybe if you are Rudy Gobert. Sure. And everyone else, I don't know that you can get away without having that, that high level of skills. But I think we can get into that with some of the guys that are available here at the end of the first round that are going to be in the Jazz range at yeah. 24 and 30 that are ridiculous bodies that... Three and four years ago, five years ago, and certainly ten years ago, you'd have been thinking, like, this guy is a top five pick. There's no chance this guy falls out of the top ten. And now you're talking about Bam Adebayo being available at 30. 
right? Potentially. And that guy is a freak athlete. I mean, his yeah. body is ridiculous, but because when he's taking that 17-footer, it doesn't look perfect, you start to say, like, well, I don't know if he can play with Rudy Gobert, and if he can't play with Rudy Gobert, you're drafting a guy to come off the bench for eight minutes. Let's let's go ahead and bounce around and, and kind of talk. Let's talk about Bam Adebayo first. Why not? Um, I'm with you. I, I think he's a good, like, obviously incredible athlete, bouncy, um, good defender. Yep. I worry so much about a uh, he, he's not a good rebounder, which is a little bit weird given his his size and athleticism. And again, you pointed it out: no offensive game other than dunking the ball, lob target, right? Which yeah. is which is a skill. Don't get me wrong, but I, I if you are the Utah Jazz and you know you have Rudy Gobert locked up for the next four years, maybe that's not the guy you take because he's only going to be getting twelve minutes a game at most. I, I don't I don't buy that he can play the four. I would, and maybe he can't play the four, and certainly maybe he can't play next to a guy like Rudy, uh, where if you had a more skilled five or a five that had to step out and shoot threes, you would be more comfortable if you were maybe Minnesota, because you had Carl Anthony Towns, if you were trusting you were going to play him at center, or if you had an Anthony Davis and you said, you know what, they're going to be interchangeable on the other side of the floor defensively. What we like to do is have Bam play down low and be that big man who wants to bang, whereas we're going to try and preserve Anthony Davis's body by allowing him to play on the perimeter a little bit more. That might be where you get to play him. I would also say this. Keep an eye on the fact that he was playing with De'Aaron Fox, and De'Aaron Fox has to be at the rim to score. Mm. When he's not out there shooting threes, you don't want to be clogging the rim one way or another, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. So maybe Bam is actually pushed out just a little bit to give De'Aaron Fox a little bit of room to operate, and that might ding you a rebound a yeah. game. You know, And there are little issues like that to keep an eye on, and, and maybe he can improve when he gets to the NBA. I would say that would be a reason he would get fewer offensive rebounds, sure. but to me it's his defensive rebounding. Right. that that's. And you might be talking about, yeah, 5% of his opportunities to rebound and 10% of his right. opportunities to rebound. I will say this, though. You know me. I'm a big analytics guy. The the models are, are pretty high on him. I mean, we're, we have Andrew Johnson coming on the show at, at 8 o'clock. Um, he's got this what he calls the the pause modeling system, which okay. I don't even know what that stands for. But something about we wins are good. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely ask him. We can ask him. Um, and he's got him ranked 14th in this draft with a, a 23% chance of being a top 50 player. So he actually breaks it down into guys being top 50 starters, role players, and then fringe NBA. Okay. 23% chance of being a, a top 50 player. Again, for a guy who the Jazz are currently slated to take number 24 in Draft Express's mock draft, okay. that's that's pretty good um i i just don't think that it's a uh, he might be the only guy in that range that i would just reject for fit reasons see and i i just don't think i would i if he's there at 30 i would take him he's okay, just too yeah. high of a value and his body's ready right now i mean that's an nba body that's going to come in and be able to get minutes it's not 30 minutes a game right now but it's 10 minutes a game so you can get him on the floor and actually let him develop in real minutes the same way those minutes would go to a guy like jeff withy and if Worst case scenario, he's your backup center who just catches lobs the whole time. He's worth a future first-round pick a couple of years from now, and you're fine trading him to get another good first-rounder. I mean, yeah. I think he has that type of value. I, I loved Miles Turner's last year uh, coming out of Texas, and they're not at all the same player. Yeah, I was going to say. But he had an ability to just run, kind of be a rim runner at certain times for Texas when his jump shot wasn't going, and catch lobs and dunk, and that guy is valuable in the NBA. But he's valu- Miles Turner is valuable because he can shoot the well, three. Well, and now he's much better because he can shoot the three, but I do like these big guys with the big bodies that can run down and aren't afraid to dunk it. I've always okay. liked that in the NBA, and I, I think that's still a model that's going to work. Because okay. it still works for Rudy, and that's all right. he does. Yeah. I like Willie Cauley Stein. I mean, I'm I'm trying to come up with like, I a, would, and I would love if you could get Willie Cauley Stein with right. the 30th pick. Uh, we've got another site that I use a lot. Uh, this Hardwood Blues. Um, and his closest statistical comp on that site is Brandon Bass. I don't see that from maybe early Brandon Bass was more sure. athletic, but 
Um, also, again, a lot more offensively skilled than Adebayo was. Uh, and then the other guy to look at that if you're looking for big body, kind of a rim runner right now, that you're waiting to see if those other skills are going to develop is E.K. Anikbogu yeah, from UCLA, who's the exact same thing. I mean, just an enormous body, 6'10", 250, actually probably weighs a little bit more than Bam does right now. His body looks fuller to me. He looks more like he's got the body of, say, Andrew Bynum, whereas Bam, I would say, kind of has the body more of a Dwight Howard type mm-hmm. of guy. Uh, and those are both guys who might be available at 24 for the Jazz, and I think they're such they're 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 so valuable just as guys who rebound and dunk the ball that I think you take them if they're there, even if it's not the biggest position of need. And I I would say I I would be happier taking them at 30 than I would be at 24. Um, and I obviously you would say that about most of these guys in this range, but I I, I think again you're you're trying to find someone who is going to be giving you a lot of value over their contract in in my mind for the next four years. And it's unlikely to me that a, a center, unless they are, they can develop those skills, um, can can break out or, or, and at least with the Jazz. And you know, maybe again, you have trade bait moving forward. And you ask any of these guys, you all they'll always say, take best player available. I just struggle with these guys that don't have any offensive skill set. Sure, to, other than dunking. And the uh, Jazz have right. that guy who goes and dunks. But then again, if you can get that coming off the bench when Rudy's not right, out there, and you can still run some of those plays, and he scores. 1.3 points per possession and doesn't need any to score. Right. You know, doesn't have to have the ball in his hands to play well. Where a guy like Ivan Rab from uh, from Cal might need that. That there's a chance that 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 guy ends up being way more valuable for you, even though he's less skilled. And that's yeah. that's okay. And that's where maybe we we've, we've gone too far. The pendulum has swung too far on these guys who dunk versus looking for the guy who can step out and hit an 18 footer. And I'll say this: I think it's easier for those guys to fit in right away. Where if you are just dunking and rebounding, then those are those are high effort skills that you can yeah. kind of translate right. sooner. Right. Maybe not with Anik Bogu because he's he's so young. Yeah. Um, but heck, even then, like he was pretty good at UCLA last You're year. Really I mean, good which at is, UCLA. He was really really good. Pretty high level of competition. Yeah. Did it with Adebayo, right? I mean, Kentucky. And I love UCLA guys and Kentucky guys because Kentucky guys, there's a good chance you don't see everything that they're able to do because Coach Cal's not the greatest coach on earth. And then UCLA guys, I mean, maybe I'm just. Maybe it's a ridiculous thing to say, but I just I've always liked players that come out of UCLA. Even the guys who don't look like they're going to be great mm-hmm. end up coming out and playing better and having a lot of these long careers. And I think there is something to the fact that there's a ton of NBA talent in Los Angeles during the summer, during the season. I mean, there are legendary pickup games that are being played at UCLA's practice gym yeah. all the time. You'll hear Earl Watson talk about it. You hear about guys going and seeing these stars playing in Los Angeles. You see it on Instagram, I right? Mean- and you're around that, and I just think that helps. If you're getting that type of practice with high-level players, and that's why I like all the UCLA guys in this draft, including TJ Leaf. Hmm. Yeah, um, we've got a. Let's talk about TJ Leaf before we go to our question. Um, we've got a question about Donovan Mitchell, who we'll talk about. But TJ Leaf, um, while we're talking about UCLA, I, I I think he may be the guy in the 20s to 30s range that the the draft models love the most. In fact. Um, Andrew Johnson, again, we'll have him on the show later, has him marked third in the draft in terms of just what the model spits out mm-hmm. in terms of what he's expected to be in, in the NBA. A 67% chance that he's a, a top 50 player and 26% chance he's a starter if he's not that. Top 50 player. I mean, right. So he's saying... You get that TJ guy Leaf anywhere is, in the draft, you're happy. Right. He's saying TJ Leaf is more likely to be a Kevin Love type than a David Lee type. Um, and, you know... When you'd be happy with either. Right. David well, Lee made two All-Star games. Fair. If I mean, you get that guy at twenty four. You're just you're yeah. yeah. You're over the moon with that that selection. Right. Um, and I think I, I think there's honestly a lot there. There aren't a lot of freshmen like TJ Leaf who uh, were able to contribute to that statistical level 
as you know that young and in such a good conference. And, and he's the opposite of Ek Anibogu or Bam Adebayo. I mean, he's just not this huge freak athlete. He's still actually really athletic. He's he's certainly more athletic than he was going to get credit for because he's a white guy who kind of runs around. But he's a phenomenal rebounder. He's a smart rebounder. More than being a physical rebounder, he's really good at reading angles. He's a really good passer. And though he didn't take a ton of threes, he shot the three ball really well, over 40% when he was at UCLA. He just does all those things that I think if you watch him, you're probably not going to fall in love with him unless you start saying, like, I'm going to try and look at this the way a coach would want to look at it and be like, oh, he passes the ball right to the right guy every time and he rebounds the ball really hard every mm-hmm. time he has a chance to go after it. And then he's just got enough skill and touch around the rim that you think, like, this guy really has the whole package. It's just hard to believe that that guy has it. Right. Which is probably not fair to TJ Leaf, right? I mean, no, that, and, not at all. And I get it. He wasn't, you know, he was the 17th ranked recruit coming into college, so he wasn't expected to be anything brilliant, but at least. But 17th ranked, I mean, he's still a top 50 guy. Yeah, yeah, good he's point. He's a five star kid coming in, so they recognize, and he went to UCLA and played as a freshman. Um, six nine guy, six eleven wingspan. So that you know, again, nothing special. Eight eleven standing reach. Um, but he does just rebound like crazy, score like crazy. Sixteen points a game last year. Eight point two rebounds a game. Even has good, pretty good block numbers as well. Zero point six steals per game. And then the big number that's going to really impress NBA scouts is forty six point six percent from three point range last year. Yeah, that you know, he's not taking five a game. He's taking no, what, he's just over one a game. A game? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's not the most explosive or prolific three-point shooter you're going to see, but I think there's enough there for you to believe that, hey, maybe he can step out. He's not afraid to step into threes, which makes him really valuable as kind of the late player coming down. He can be a defensive rebounder and then, yes, slowly come up the court and be a threat there because his man has to stay out waiting for him, which opens up things for your guards to get into the paint. So he's a guy who's really valuable. Uh, I would be surprised if he's available at 24 hmm. because he does all those things well. How, how, are, how worried are you about his defense? UCLA was weird this year because Lonzo Ball had a weird defense and then they had a great player behind him in, in E.K. Anagbogu who's just a huge body. And I think some of those guys could certainly slip there. Uh, but you know what? The Jazz had the best shot blocker in the NBA. I mean, at some point I'm going to be okay taking a guy who's not a great defensive player as long as he's not Trey Lyles. And I certainly don't think T.J. Leaf is Trey Lyles. I think he's I think he's a smart enough player that he's going to be able to find a way. Where we've seen you guys, think he's better than Trey Lyles? He's a better defensive player than Trey Lyles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm fine with that. Okay. And, <laughs> well, uh, you need to have that. Right. If he's not better than Trey Lyles, he can't see the floor. Then he can't play. Yeah. Which, yeah. And, and, the, he, and he will be better than Trey Lyles defensively. Okay. Yeah, I, I honestly think that if he he does fall to 24, and I, I, I think that's actually within the realm of possibility, again, just getting an idea of, of what's happening in these mocks, but TJ Leaf taken at 21 in Draft Express. I believe he was 23rd in uh, the, the Ringer mock. Uh, no, he's 26th, sorry. So, again, maybe yeah. around for 24. Um, I I think that would be a a really pretty good fit, especially again next to Rudy Gobert makes some sense. Makes some sense for how Quinn Snyder likes to play. He's kind of a deceptively good shot blocker, which is weird. He averages yeah. over one a game, which you know not a ton of guys do, uh, especially guys like T.J. Leaf, uh, who who was asked to stay out on the perimeter a couple of times or sometimes, then would fall back and 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 would block the shot of the man he's guarding. He's not a weak side shot blocker, so that was helpful. Maybe one weird number that would make you believe that the three-point shooting is a little bit false is that he only shot 68% from the free-throw line. Mm, yeah. So maybe there's a question about that jump shot when he only takes 1.7 per game from three and hits a ridiculous 46%. I mean, he's not going to come in as a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA, most likely. But then again, he shot 64% from the floor. Right. You know, So he, he really knows how to shoot the ball. Maybe there was something about the free-throws. They were just inconsistent enough. And he only shot three a game that he wasn't getting to the line. Yeah. 
Yeah, might, I, I, he might never get to the free throw line in the NBA. Right. He he honestly he might not. And in that case, you're looking at you know Matt Bonner. I mean, yeah, maybe not that three point heavy. I'm I'm trying to come up with something, but you know someone like that who's not going to be an interior threat whatsoever. Right. Um, but again, the rebounding is good enough that I, I think it'll be that it, he's kind of got a floor that I think is a pretty reasonable bench big. And NBA Draft.net, which is certainly imperfect, but has been doing it for a long time, and they have player comparisons, which you know they compared Deshaun Stevenson to Michael Jordan. So take it with a, yeah. a grain of salt. Real big grain of salt. They uh, they have T.J. Leaf compared to Nick Collison, and I, I you know some of that I hate is just the racial thing of just saying he's a white guy with dark hair, mm-hmm. but it's actually not a bad comparison because Nick Collison did all those things that helped you in games, which was rebound make a couple of passes, and hit a shot occasionally. And may, if T.J. Leaf does that and can rebound and pass and then hit shots on top of it, he's really valuable. He's not Kevin Love, though. Here's a fun statistical comp from, again, Hardwood Blues. This is just closest player he was to statistically his freshman year. Jabari Parker. Hmm. Very different players, don't get sure. me wrong. But again, like in terms of the output, in terms of the points he's scoring, the kind of points he's scoring, the right. rebounds, the, right. you know, still a good passer. I, actually, this has been a big thing I've been looking at with these bigs is can you pass? Can you be sure. a part of an offense? And 2.4 assists per game. It's a nice like, number. I like uh, He can't dribble. He can dribble a little bit. Jabari yeah. could really dribble. Right. Jabari had step back threes at that age. You and know, more that, athleticism. And, so, and, and a ridiculous level of athleticism higher and a better body. So there's a lot. There's a big gap there. But He's yeah. not the number two pick in the draft. But a poor man's Jabari Parker, that's not a horrible comp for him. No. And you would take that. Abs- again, yeah, absolutely. Again, like I, I think I get too ahead of it where I'm, I'm wanting a starter caliber player from this 20 to 30 pick and you look at the history of the draft and you're you know it's half that make nba rotation and then ask yourself how much is he being set up by lonzo ball who really is brilliant and is going to be a phenomenal nba player or how much is he being hidden by lonzo ball because lonzo ball is so brilliant and has the ball in his hands and though he's not certainly he doesn't use that many possessions he doesn't lonzo ball is not a high possession usage guy but but you know is there something there where trey lyle's wasn't used well at Kentucky. Right. Is there more you could get out of TJ Leaf, or is there actually kind of less than what you think you're seeing there? Maybe, maybe. And maybe the fact that he's a top 20 recruit shows that there's probably more there. You know, maybe he does have a little bit more to his game, but why are you ever going to have him initiate an offense when you've got Lonzo Ball, who's the best we've seen in college in a decade, right. on that same team? Let's get to um, Giorgio Spinius' question real quick. Is Donovan Mitchell our first choice? I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be well gone by 24. I mean, I think he'll be well gone by 15. Okay, so um, let me ask you this. Yes. Is the only reason people in Utah love Donovan Mitchell is because he said he loved Utah? A little bit. Like, at least, uh, like, I have a big man crush on Donovan Mitchell, and maybe that's just because. But why? I, I don't get it. Okay, so when I watch him, and, and mm-hmm. if you haven't been able to watch him, just look at his box scores. How many games do you see that even statistically he dominated a game or took many. over a game. He just doesn't. He's right. a complimentary piece. Even at, even at Louisville, he was yeah. complimentary. That worries me. Now, sometimes that's good because that guy can come in because he's not going to be a star for the Jazz. I think what Jazz fans think, though, is they're getting this downhill scorer who's an unbelievable athlete who's going to take over long stretches of the game. He's not that at all. I, no, I don't see him as that at all. I, I see him as a, I mean, I, I have this in our notes here, but kind of Patrick Beverly-ish where okay. he's, he's a yeah. solid, strong defender that that kind of makes his name on that end of the floor with uh, good size, again, 6'2", 6'3", good uh, movement defensively, and then is so long, six ten wingspan that he can. He's he's a perfect candidate to defend both ones, twos, and threes. Um, it, it kind of in the modern NBA, if you get switched on guys, and then um, I, I think then you have enough offensive tools, then you can kind of imagine progress. I would just warn Jazz fans: don't let your skirts get blown up because he said he liked Utah. Yeah, everyone likes Utah. 
if you can get drafted, everyone likes Utah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to be in the NBA making millions of dollars, you're going to learn to love it. Not that they play similarly at all, but think of impact in a game. He's closer to, I mean, I think Patrick Beverly's probably a pretty good uh, example. Like uh, Randy Foy. Like he's more that level of complimentary player than he yeah. is a guy who you say like, come in and take over. Like right. it's your time. He's not. He's an addition to your hopefully starting lineup, but maybe not. Maybe just an addition to your rotation. You say like he's a guy. And yeah, and I think because I I do think his his ceiling is kind of limited there that I I don't think he'll ever be an all star. Um, I I don't think it makes sense to like trade up to get a player like that, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to say, hey, Gordon Hayward, we traded away Derek Favors for this kid, Donovan Mitchell, who's ready to step in right away and be, sure. what? you know, I, I think Best that's Best case, that's Rodney bad... Stuckey. Or, or something like that, a player harsh, like but... that. Okay, but, yeah, maybe better. Rodney Best Stuckey doesn't play defense. Sure. But, but you know, but, but I'm yeah. talking about these complimentary players yeah. who aren't ball in the hand, take over late in the game. And I think that's what a lot of Jazz fans think when they see, what, a 40-inch vertical and a 6'10 mm-hmm. wingspan on a 6'2 body. You think... Oh, this is the type of athlete who's going to take over, and he didn't even do that at Louisville. That yeah. wasn't his game, and that's not how he wanted to play. And he, I don't think he's going to want to all of a sudden do that in the NBA. Um, the, the models are kind of split on Donovan Mitchell. Some of them think he'll be very good. Um, this Hardwood Blues has him at, at the 13th best prospect. Actually, his closest comparable is Kemba Walker, um, which, which again, would be amazing. But again, if you came right. in the 20s. That's incredible. That's great. Um, again, I don't think Donovan Mitchell's falling to the 20s. Period. But. Uh, this is a weird draft. Yeah. Once you get past 12, it really opens up because I think it drops down a tier. And then 15 to 45, you're going to have a player drafted at 17 that everyone says, oh, I had him in the second round. Yeah. Every draft will have him in the second round. And there'll be a guy who everyone had at 19 who, because of one, he's either a bad interview or there's red flags in his background or his history or his family life. And he's going to drop to 44 and no one's going to know why. I want to ask you about the tiers thing, and we got to take break. Yeah. Uh, take a break. But I, I'm curious why you say that the tier drops off at 12. Okay. I, I might put it a little bit earlier. So we'll talk about that next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you. Talking about the NBA draft. We're two weeks away from the draft and kind of looking at what the Utah Jazz might do with their selection. Uh, Again, just to catch you guys up, they've got the 24th, 30th, 42nd, and 55th pick. Um, Ben, we got a couple of questions during the break. Was it one or that you you wanted to answer? Oh, just a a question. I don't think it's totally outlandish. Uh, Dave uh, asked us, what are your thoughts on trading for Eric Bledsoe? Because it sounds like yeah. the rumor is that, they, well, first of all, there's a good chance that the Suns are going to have a good point guard available on the board at four, unless Sacramento packages five and ten to move up to three. And then you see the three point guards that are going to be drafted in the top six picks go one, two, three, which is Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, and then De'Aaron Fox. Right. Uh, and in any order, however right. you want to do it, but that would most likely be the order. Uh, then, uh, you know, is there a chance that the, the Suns, if they draft a point guard at four, because the Kings don't move up to three and jump them, do they want to get rid of Eric Bledsoe? And my guess would be yes, they do want to get rid of Eric Bledsoe because they're going to want to play whoever this guy is. And whatever point guard they get at four, if they get one of those three guys, they're NBA-ready players. They're guys who have to be on the floor almost immediately. I would trade the 30th pick for Eric Bledsoe and maybe even oh, the 24th. Yeah, yeah, I, I would trade either of those picks. And yeah. you probably you know, you probably have to include something else to make that work from their point of view. I mean, I wouldn't go crazy. 
I mean, I wouldn't go crazy trying to give up a lot of assets because you know they're in a little bit of a position where they've got a lack of leverage because yeah. they need to play this guy. Yeah. And but but I would give up. Yeah, one of your first round picks. Would I wouldn't give up both of them. Derek Favors and twenty four. I mean, they they need a power forward, you know, and they need a guy like Derek Favors who can come in until Marquise Chris is kind of really ready to step up yeah. and take over that position. And you know, you could probably learn a thing from Derek Favors or two. And Earl Watson's familiar with him. I would probably make that deal. Yeah. Okay. You're yeah, getting a I, 20 point per game score. Those guys just don't exist. Right. You also can't have Derek Fla Derek Favors on the floor anymore if you've got Eric Bledsoe because you have to have your shooting guard, small forward, and power forward all have to be able to shoot threes. Right. Because he's not a good enough shooter, and Rudy's never going to shoot the three. So you have to have three other shooters on the floor, and Favors isn't that guy. Yeah. Um, sure. I, I'd I, make that I, deal. I, I, I would too. I'm the only reason I'm I'm hesitant. And again, no player's perfect, right? Uh, but I, I do worry about Eric Bledsoe's defense. Last year, clearly, yeah. just did not care for yeah. the Suns. I and mean, he you probably doesn't get Hayward involved a ton if your no. pitch is to say, "Hey, Hayward, you're still the guy." He says, "Well, I've seen Eric Bledsoe play. I haven't <laughs> right. seen Eric Bledsoe ever win, though. And but I've seen him play. He doesn't pass a whole lot. He's an okay passer, six or something assists. He's fine. Game. Like, yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, yeah, the passing thing, I'm not that worried about. I, I do think he would give you something. Um, that you don't already have, which is kind of some downhill speed and, and yep. ability to finish at the rim. Yep. Uh, I don't, again, it just comes back to defense for me. If if he's willing to commit and say, yeah, I'm going to be a defensive player under Quinn Snyder, and this is kind of show the effort that he, I, I think he may be capable of. I, you know, I think we saw it a little bit when he was a, a role player, young with the Clippers, but still, I mean, not really. Some questions about health. 40 games his first yeah. year in Phoenix, then played yeah. 81, which is great. 31 two years ago and only 66 this year. Right. Although, how many of the eight, whatever, that is sure. 16 games sure. were because they were tanking. Right. And certainly possible there. He is three years younger than George Hill. So he answers your point guard problem already. He's going to yeah. be cheaper than George Hill. He would be your starter for sure. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, has a great contract moving forward. Yeah. I, th I think that's. I think he's locked no up for two that. more years, right? Mm -hmm. I think he's got two more. So yeah, you can get him for a first round draft pick and a player who might not be in your future anymore, but you're going to have to give up a little bit of value. I'd do it. I'd pull yeah. the trigger. Um, let's talk about the tiers of this okay. draft. So you said that there's kind of a top 12 tier. Oh, you, did you, are you, that was a little bit loose. All right. I was speaking a little bit loosely, but I would say 10. Okay. I feel I, very comfortable saying 10. 10 is where I'm at too. I think maybe I, I might be most comfortable with nine cause I'm not gr hap, super thrilled with Neil Aquina. Okay. Um, but I do put Dennis Smith in that top tier, I guess of nine. Everyone loves Zach Collins. From yeah. That's a good point. He is just. There, I okay. I put Zach Collins back in my top ten. He just hasn't. He doesn't play. He hadn't didn't play a ton because they were pretty good at Gonzaga, and even as good as he was, they just had really experienced players to play yeah. in front of him. Uh, so he didn't get huge minutes. But you saw him in the Final Four and the Elite Eight, and he was just ridiculous. He was the best player on the floor. There is going to be an NBA team that's just head over heels in love with him. He's a top ten pick, is my guess. Uh, I don't know enough about Frank Ntilikina to be honest with you. Other than I mean, I've seen the, the, his strengths and weaknesses. I'm not going and finding. Strasbourg international games and sitting down and watching the full Good. Ford. Do they play 48 <laughs> right. minutes? Like, I honestly they don't even 40. know how long yeah. they play. <laughs> yeah. I, but he seems to pretty much universally be in that top 10 or top 11. So I'd say probably 11 is that tier, and then 12 is that next grouping of guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. And I think that starts with guys like Mitchell, John Collins, sure. uh, Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard recently is kind of climbing up draft boards where yeah, he's universally I'm, I'm available about at that. 20. But he offers just an NBA skill set the day he comes in. He's actually a little more. He's not just Eddie House, three-point shooter. He has yeah. quite a bit more to his game. Good passer, can put the ball on the floor. He can play.
And he's not like the typical four-and-done prospect, <laughs> uh, like an yeah. old prospect that you're drafting out of Duke. He's not, you know, J.J. Redick or no. whatever. I, I think he offers then, a different skill set. I mean, J.J. Redick might be the reason why he's uh, being picked at 12 if he does get picked. Right. You say if you could get J.J. there, that's that's an awesome opportunity. He can play. Luke Kennard can really play. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say, okay, I'll say 11. I'm really comfortable okay. with those 11 guys. And then you're right. 12 is Donovan Mitchell. Some guys really love John Collins uh, as as a player yeah. there. E.K. Anagbogu is going to have some good workouts and really wow some people. Someone might love the ability for Justin Jackson to really put the ball in the hole. I mean, th- there are guys who could go 12 to 15, 12 to 16. And then I think that's when you get to your third tier. Yeah, and I think that third tier is actually really big. Huge. For, Ridiculously big. Yeah, I yeah. think like the 15 to 40 tier in this draft is there is a lot of good players in that. And like, you know, I, I think there's going to be a guy at 42 that the Jazz can draft that I think can, can actually help them. Is is even likely to be a rotation player just because of how deep this draft is. No question. I I, I love this draft to forty five. I, I really do, and and in that range, I mean, I love Dylan Brooks. I know he's got a lot of question marks. Yeah, I don't. I don't actually. I really. I mean, I just he was the best player in every game. He's on the floor, and I know he's got issues. I know there's questions about him defensively. He's got little T Rex arms, but he can really shoot the ball. He can put the ball on the floor. Just has a knack for big shots. He's a big game type of guy, and I think those guys tend to translate. Those big game players find a way to get on the floor. Yeah, well, Perrin said that you know that was something that he was looking for too. Is he thought that that willingness to take the last shot and they, again your your big game players translates to some level to that same skill in the NBA. I don't know that he'll get the chance to take those shots in the NBA, quite frankly, just because I don't think that he's going to be skilled enough right. um, to be anything other than maybe a shooter. But I don't think uh, he's but, dumb. There there are guys who are dumb right, and agreed. say I'm going to come in, and I'm going to take eight shots, and maybe the Jazz have one of those guys or five of those guys. It you know <laughs> they've yeah. got a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys are in the NBA. They just say, like, I'm dumb, I'm going to take as many shots as I can. And they're not dumb people. They just get on the floor, and I don't know if the lights are bright or what it is. Or they've been playing their whole year as the best player on their team. Right, and Dylan Brooks is that, but I don't think he's only that. I think he has an ability then when he realizes that I'm with better players, he can distribute and he can make those other guys around him better. Can I give you my my Dylan Brooks then is Cinderius Thornwell. Okay. Um. Because, again, he's a guy who absolutely was the number one player on his team at the NBA level, and there are a lot of questions about whether or not his size and athleticism, which is kind of limited, works at the the top. And I think that's totally fair, and that's why he's not a universal first-round pick. Right. But everything else about Dylan Brooks, other than, again, he didn't have fantastic measurements by any stretch because he's got the the 6'6 wingspan with the 6'7 body. Uh, yeah, that's a right. bad sign. But he does so many other things well. He can shoot the ball. He does play multiple positions and not in a tweener bad spot. Yeah. I, I worry that I don't think he'll be able to finish at the rim in the NBA, which yeah. limits him a lot. Sure. Um, but, oh, look at Draft Express right now. Josh Hart, again, another player yeah. who was the best player on his team at Villanova, yep. has won championships there. Kyle Kuzma at Utah. There were times that Kuz, uh, I watched Kuzma at Utah and I thought that guy doesn't have a chance in the NBA. Yeah. And then from February on, he shot almost 40% from the three point line. He's a legit 6'9 and has always been 6'9. He's a good enough athlete. He's a really good rebounder that nobody talks about. Yeah, that's true. They, don't have, they didn't have big bodies at Utah. They didn't have another great rebounder next to him. But late in the games, he was good. He hit big shots regularly and he hit four or five in the combine and was the best player on the floor against NBA competition. Yeah, I. I... For one half. I will say that his first half in the combine was good. I, I wasn't that impressed with his second half, Kuzma's. And then my biggest worry with Kuzma is, honestly, I, I don't think I would draft Kuzma with the 42nd pick. Okay. Uh, because I, I don't think he is what he's selling himself as, which is he's selling himself as a playmaking four. And I didn't see that kind of like basketball IQ offensively or defensively sure. to 
be that player. He probably is going to be a spot-up three-point shooter, and that's scary from a guy who shot under 40% from the college three. Right. If he figured it out and was that guy that we saw from February on because you realized, hey, you have to be that guy, I I think maybe he can be that in the NBA, but you're going to work with him. He's not going to be that guy your first year and come in and play right away. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, you know. Would I, I? Would you draft Dylan Brooks thirty? I mean, are you? Are Not you talking? Dylan. No, I'm okay. talking second round. You're talking second round, and I wouldn't trade up my second round picks to get him. But no, if he's right. sitting there where the Jazz are drafting what forty two, I yeah. consider. I, I would uh, like I told you my my Dylan Brooks is in Darius Thornwell because sure. I think he's going to be a good defender at the NBA level. You know, his comps are guys like Kent Bazemore. Sure. P.J. Tucker, yeah. Wesley Matthews. I mean, right. those guys, again, not terribly skilled on the offensive end, but defensively they get it done, right. and, and if Thornwell can do that, right, great. Uh, who else do we want to talk about real quick? Uh, I mean, uh, one guy who I think a lot of people are interested in locally, and I really like him, is Frank Jackson. Yeah, yeah. If Jazz fans are enamored with Donovan Mitchell to the point where you're saying, I'm going to trade up and get him, I would say trade your two second-round draft picks and try and get up to 35 Okay. In the second round, try and get to 36 and draft Frank Jackson, or just take him at 30. Does the broken foot worry you? I mean, he's he's at some mocks in 30. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, feet are scary, but he's not 6'10". Yeah. He's not 6'11". He's a guard, and I don't think that foot injury is going to be as concerning. What uh, kind of player do you think he's going to be in the NBA? He's a combo guard. He's a true combo yeah. guard. I actually think he has enough skills with the ball in his hands that you can probably play him a little bit more point guard than a lot of people believe mm. he is. He has. He, he, he might have the best handle in this draft. Hmm. He's got, and I love that. I love guys who can dribble because they can get where they want to on the floor. Hmm. And he knows where he can get on the floor and be successful. He's good at the rim and he can really shoot the ball. I just like those things. That's a good yeah. combo. You can shoot, you can get to the rim and score, you're a good athlete, and you can dribble. Yeah. I like every single one of those attributes. And again, that he's available potentially at 35 is, right. is a great sign for this draft. And he's 19. Right. So you're just going to say, go play a year with the Stars. I'm not worried about your background. I mean, I know playing in Utah is weird when you're a high school kid here, but I'm going to let you go out there and play because I think he has a lot of game. And he was stuck behind Grayson Allen and, and Luke Kennard. Yeah, and and, it's, it was understandable why he didn't play. And there were times when Frank Jackson was just dynamite. I'm playing against Kansas early in the year. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would love to see the Jazz pick up Frank Jackson in the second round. All right, got to take a real quick break. Coming up next segment, we'll talk about more of these NCAA draft prospects next here on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Hey, walk this way, you and me, babe. Best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you. Um, Zach Harper is currently in Cleveland covering that, you know, Beautiful. other NBA finals series. Beautiful Cleveland. So, Ugly series. Uh, he'll be back with us at least for a couple more shows before um, we lose him. Before to we Los lose Angeles. him forever to Los Angeles, sadly. Anyway, um, we want to talk about for this last segment of the hour um, what we think about Dennis Lindsay as a drafter so far. What is okay, draft let me ask record you this. looks like? What do you think jazz fans think of Dennis Lindsay as a drafter? And I know that's a really broad brush yeah. to paint with, but I would think generally they think he's a really good drafter. Yeah. Because I, you look at guys like Rodney Hood, Rudy Gobert, who you got at, what, 23, 24, and 27? 23, yeah, yeah. And you say, wow, that guy can draft. He's had some misses that have been not great. Yeah. Okay, so, and it's funny because I, I, like, half put Trey Burke on him because he was technically in charge then, but apparently, I don't know if it was Ty Corbin who asked for this pick, but then also Kevin O'Connor liked Trey Burke huh. a lot, and, you know, it was kind of, it, it, it was kind of seemed like he wasn't fully okay. 
entrenched in as, okay. as the in charge for the Trey Burke pick. Maybe that's just very... He was the general manager. He was the he general manager. He should make that pick. And, he but, was, right. but maybe what he was trying to do was give Ty Corbin an opportunity and say, Ty, I'm not coming here to take your job from you. Why don't we see what your view is of this team in the future and let's go out and make those pieces. If he did, though, that's a little bit ignorant. Because yeah, right. if you pass on, you know, let's say you loved C.J. McCollum and thought that guy had it, and you said, you know what, but the coach likes Trey Burke, and I'm just going to trust him because I think he knows better. You shouldn't have the job if you think somebody else knows better. But right. I, I think there are a lot of pieces at work, and that certainly could be the case. And I wonder if he thought, oh, okay, my guys are, you know, the rumor was that his guys were Giannis and Rudy. I don't know if I buy it because sure. those are the two best players oh, in the draft. You, you, but, yeah, you yeah, you're, run. you're brilliant. Sure. But let's say he knew he could get 27 and was like, okay, I can get one of my guys and I'll get one of your guys Okay, and we'll call it good. Sure. Maybe, and that's certainly possible. And the Jazz needed a point guard, and Trey Burke was universally thought of by everybody right. as the best Everyone point guard. Everyone was in thrilled when that pick happened. Right. And uh, Trey Burke didn't is work out. awful. Uh, yeah, and he's worse than the two players the Jazz traded for him. Yes. Both Shabazz Muhammad and Gorgie Jang are both r- decent NBA players. I mean, they're top right. 200 NBA players. And right. Trey Burke, Trey Burke is 450. may not be in the, in the yeah. NBA next year. Uh, so that's not great. Uh, Jarnell Stokes was a player that everyone on the Jazz, for some reason, every Jazz fan wanted. Yeah. And he's just been a guy. He just well, and go D League and come back. He was immediately traded away. So right. whatever. Rodney Hood uh, was fantastic. Rodney Hood, great. Um, Dante. And here's the thing about Dante. I know he hasn't turned into Jabari Parker or Andrew Wiggins or even Joel Embiid, though Embiid can't stay on the floor. Is there somebody immediately behind Dante Exum that you think like I would absolutely prefer to have Noah Vonley no. or Julius Randle? No, like Julius Randle. Marcus probably Smart get probably traded in the next couple of years. And even then, like Marcus Smart is highly imperfect. Right. He's not your starting point guard right now. Right. Because no, he's not yeah. that type of player. Agreed. He plays on your team. He's in your rotation. I don't think we know that Dante Exum can't be in a starting five yet in yeah. his career. And we make you know, we come make him back next year and after a year of Dante development, think Dante is a better player than Marcus Smart. You know, that's absolutely within the realm of possibility. So that was a good draft. Because you got Rodney Hood, who's right. a starter, and you might And be honestly able to... that draft is pretty trash other than Right. And, yeah, you did great there. And you know what? You did your work because you were able to get information on Rodney Hood that nobody else in the NBA had. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's the rumor, and the Jazz knew he was a top-10 player in the draft, and no one else could get a read on his foot injury and and kind of what his his issues were going into that draft. The The best player in that draft, by the way, was taking 41 in Nikola Jokic. Okay. I mean, maybe Embiid's better, but he's not on the floor ever. You're not a believer in Wiggins or Parker? No. Not as better than Jokic? No. Huh. Jokic is a... I, I still got some question marks, but he doesn't play any defense. He's a horrendous defensive player. Neither does Andrew Wiggins. Sure, neither does Wiggins, and Parker is a major question mark Parker there. And he's a complimentary more, but player. Less, yeah. uh, Trey Lyles, in 2015, with number 12 overall pick, and obviously the, the scary thing there yeah. is that uh, his, his running mate at Kentucky was drafted right behind him by the Phoenix Suns and put up 70 points. Right. And you could use a go-to wing that can certainly step out and shoot the ball like that. And or not even a go-to him. wing, just a... Knockdown shot guy, you know. Even right. if if you have him in your rotation as a guy who can shoot, he'd still be more useful than Trey Lyles. Right, and of course that's Devin Booker. And Devin right. Booker, Devin Booker would have been a much better player. Kelly Oubre is a better player. You know, there's a lot of guys that were drafted behind him in the next couple of picks that were in that conversation. Bobby Portis is probably a better player. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys who I think are better players than what the Jazz ended up with in Trey Lyles, and maybe that's why they're switching it up. Maybe they're just saying, you know what, we need to trust the film more than we, we didn't like this interview or we didn't like what somebody said about this guy in an interview. We need to trust the film a little bit more. Not that Devin Booker had this blowaway film either. Nobody right. thought he'd be this guy. If they did, they'd draft him at number five overall. Right. Uh, yeah, what, what lessons do you take from the Trey Lyles drafting? 
don't read too much into balance or don't read too much into <laughs> perception is he, overrated. Yeah, that he shot the ball well in your workout or that you think that there's some mystery skill that he wasn't able to show when he was surrounded by talented guys at Kentucky. I think my biggest takeaway there is that defense is translates more than we like, think and and was, Okay, here's what I didn't understand here and this is Dennis Lindsay's better at his job than I am. Mm. I don't have a job. That's why <laughs> Dennis Lindsay though, I remember on the day after the draft they said, no, we think we think Trey Lyles is going to be able to defend the pick and roll. We think he can really move laterally. Hmm. I didn't see it at all at Kentucky. In fact, any opportunity he was put in that, he got killed at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then the Jazz, for some reason, thought he could do it, and he couldn't do it. Right. I, I did not understand what they saw there, other than maybe in a workout they saw it. And then last year, Torian Prince, they traded for George Hill. That's an incomplete, even though, obviously, that's a great trade. Yeah. You just didn't, you make, didn't make, make a draft, a draft pick there. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead, Joel Ballenboy, and Tyrone Wallace. I like Ballenboy. But yeah. that's just because he's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Page and Ty, uh, Ty Wallace are iffy point guards. Are, sure. I don't think they're going to make the league. Um, but it's 55 and 60. Like, you're not drafting sure. based on those guys. So, so he's had uh, two, overall grade real quick. Two grand slams in the 20s. Uh, I, I'd say he's a B, B-minus drafter. I'd go B, A-minus, B-plus. I don't know that there's a lot of guys with a better track, Craig. Okay. All right, we got to take another break. On the other side, we've got Andrew Johnson from Nylon Calculus to talk about his statistical draft modeling here on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson and Ben Anderson join you. And actually, right now on this segment, so does Andrew Johnson, who writes for Nylon Calculus and does some of the best draft modeling out there that you can find on the internet. Wanted to talk to him about his draft modeling, kind of that process, what he's trying to find with these uh, NCAA prospects. So, first of all, Andrew, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. Um, wanted to, let's let's get started with you know kind of the the kind of a basic question, which is when when you look at these stats modeling um, and you know whether it be yours or or other people's, what are the the uh-huh. characteristics of NCAA prospects that translate best to the NBA? Uh, you know, if you're talking direct uh, translation in terms of stats, it's always uh, things that are related to the position, like rebounding and assists. Um, but when you want to talk about what's going to make somebody successful, um, it's, it's a little more difficult to answer. But um, you know, when, you, when we kind of look at floor and what's going to make a guy stick in the NBA, uh, steals and blocks and, and things that indicate defense are kind of what would do it for us there. But um, when you want to look at ceiling, um, then we're talking about scoring, and then you're talking about guys who are young who are scoring. Um, and so those are kind of the things, the easy way to, to say it. Andrew, you've got your own draft model. What what are you looking for? How What goes into it? I mean, what builds your model? Um, it's actually pretty simple, and, and sometimes I think people make the draft a little more difficult than uh, it needs to be, but young players playing at a high level who are really productive. And that's really what you want. Um, you know, expert uh, scouts can get into a little more detail on um, the character of the guy and some of the athleticism that maybe you don't uh, 
pick up in all the box score sets, but I think in general, uh, when you come to, to try and model it, you really you want a young player who's playing at a high level and is really productive. I guess, obviously, there are guys like Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball. Are there other players in this draft that fit that criteria really well based on your modeling? Um, yeah, there there are a couple of guys who are uh, slated to go uh, pretty early who who fit that. Um, I think uh, Jonathan Isaac uh, fits that pretty well. Uh, Josh Jackson, to a little bit lesser extent, um, and uh, Dennis Smith, though. You know, Dennis Smith's one of those that I think get into uh, where scouting gets because when you listen to the the scouts, there are a lot of questions about his attitude and uh, how he produced on defense and those kind of things. And that's something that the draft model uh, doesn't see. So he always comes out a little better in draft models than he does in uh, what the scouts see. So I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. And then, Andrew, on the flip side of that, is there a guy who your model doesn't necessarily love that you continue to see in the top 10, and, and is there a reason why? Um, probably, uh, and I, I probably can't even say his name right, but uh, Frank uh, Nictilina. Nictilina, yeah. Uh, yes, who is a French player, and he hasn't really been that productive yet in, in France, but sometimes... Uh, European players are a little bit harder to project uh, with the model because they may not be getting the minutes that a college player is going to be getting, so they're n- they're not fulfilling as big a role uh, as a college player is going to be playing. But he's one that has consistently showed up in the top ten, and uh, the model isn't really picking up a lot of uh, success for him. Interesting. Um, you write a lot about the Celtics too, and I, I wanted to ask. Obviously, you guys have the number one pick. Um, I think you've got Lonzo Ball at the top of your model, or at least the model summary I'm looking at um, from May fifteenth. Yep. If you if you were Danny Ainge, would you take Lonzo Ball over Markel Fultz, or you know, would you do you see enough in Markel Fultz? It is really close in your model. I I should uh, say that at least. Would, would which one of those players would you go with? Um. You know, I, I think I would probably end up taking uh, Fultz over uh, Ball. One of the things I do towards the end is do a final model that includes kind of a consensus of the draft boards, and that always comes out a little bit better. And the preliminary ones I've done show Fultz and Ball very, very close. Um, and so I, my personal preference, I would probably take Fultz uh over ball, but interesting. And, and the models uh, definitely have him a little closer than uh, I think what the consensus from among the scouts is. Uh, and then Andrew, what well, one question I have for you? One of the things you said that that you look for is stats that translate by position. Are you finding mm-hmm. now as we're getting more? And I know you had a, a big chart and a study on shooting. Is it, it does the shooting of a big man translate just as well? From the college game to the to, to the NBA game, that it does from a guard, or is it perhaps better? I mean, are are you seeing any variation there that goes with position? Uh, generally, it it hasn't translated as well, but a lot of that comes down to uh, the volume of shooting. You know, uh, Markkanen's a little bit different than one of the what we've seen in the past, and that he's shot threes at a pretty high volume. Uh, Previously, you would see um, 
guys would take an occasional three, maybe one or two a game. Uh, and when you model on that, anybody who's not taking as, as many usually don't end up uh, shooting as well once they get into the NBA. One other thing, cool thing that your model does is kind of breaks down the likelihood that each player becomes something. So, like, you've got a the odds that someone becomes a top 50 player or the odds that somebody becomes a starter or a role player or a fringe NBA player. Can you kind of explain to, to us and, and your audience, or our audience what how you do that? Uh, yeah, so the, the primary model is, is just sort of a, more of a linear thing and you and take uh, a measure of how well they do in their first four years and uh, model on that. And the other one, I break it more down into tiers and I model what the odds are they break into each one of the tiers. So what you're looking at there is really uh, four different models okay. um, that, I, that I'm putting together. So uh, the nice thing about that uh, is that you can kind of pick up a little bit different on on the top 50, what's what's going to get them as star potential. And then on the fringe end, it's kind of what are kind of the bust flat red flags. Um, and the player that the Reds or that the Celtics took last year, uh, Jalen Brown was one of the more interesting ones. And in he had very low star potential, um, but also very low uh, odds of being a failure. And that was because he really struggled um, with his shooting efficiency and uh, turnovers when he was at uh, Cal. But he was very well regarded by drafts coming in out of high school as a pretty young player entering the draft. Those guys usually will make it in the NBA, but guys who don't dominate uh, are much less likely to actually end up being a star. Interesting. Well, it's a really useful resource you've put together. Can you tell people where we can find your work and also just kind of your draft models in, in general? Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Counting Baskets, um, or you can uh, find my stuff at Nylon Calculus, uh, Nylon Calculus, and I have my own blog um, at CountingBaskets at Typad.com. Cool. Yeah, and Andrew's an awesome follow, guys. Just to, if you guys want to keep up with the draft um, from a statistical point of view, he's one of the best draft modelers out there that that publicly shares their their modeling anyway. So again, Andrew Johnson, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, have a good rest of your evening. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Sure. Thanks for having me. What one of the things that I'm curious about now, and and you know the, the default best. Uh, skill that translates, it's kind of what everyone says, from college to the pros, and jazz fans will remember this with Paul Millsap is rebounding. Mm-hmm. Everyone has said that's always the case. I almost wonder, though, now if the default skill you look for is shooting and say, worst-case scenario, he can spread the floor. And I don't think that's actually a perfect thing to say because if you can't get on the floor, it doesn't matter if you can shoot. Right. I mean, if you can't play defense. You're Steve Novak. Right, it doesn't on. matter. But I do think we are getting to that point where we're saying guys like Tyler Lydon, who I just do not love at all at the end of the first round, that is really being tied to the Jazz out of Syracuse. I mean, that's a guy who the reason he's being drafted is because he shot the three well. Right, and but that's it. I, he can pass the ball. I yeah. actually do like that he can really pass the ball. He's a somewhat okay rebounder, but certainly not a great rebounder. There are so many things there that I do not understand why anyone's talking about him as a first-round pick, but the default is that, well, he can shoot the ball. 
Right. So, of course, he has a chance to be there at the end of the first And it's round. funny because that's one of the ones that doesn't translate very consistently at all. You know, obviously, everyone talks about the Kawhi Leonard argument sure. where, you know, he was a terrible shooter in college and became, honestly, a top five shooter yep. in the NBA. Um, and then you've got guys who go the other direction, too. But if you so I, I think that I, I don't have that same same kind of consistency or, or I guess confidence in shooting that I would when rebounding. But I agree that becomes like the number one skill that everyone hopes is, is at least going to translate. Right. And it, and it's just such a it's not secondary because the number one goal in the NBA is to score the ball. That's right. the goal of basketball. But there are so many other things you have to do before you're even going to touch the ball. That if you can't do those couple of things and you're getting torched every trip down the floor, you're not even going to get a chance to get shots up. Agreed. Um, I'm and, with you on Tyler Lydon, by the way. And no one's going to make you a high-usage player if you don't do anything else. I mean, one of the reasons why Quinn Snyder said the Jazz play slow and pass the ball so much is because Rudy likes to touch the ball. Right. The same thing with Kirilenko, and Sloan knew that you know, 15 years ago, was that that guy needs to touch the ball if you're going to have him engaged defensively as well. And, and maybe Rudy's better at that than, than AK was, but you, guys like to touch the ball. Derek mm-hmm. Favors likes to touch the ball. Draw him up a post play really early in the game so he realizes he gets his too. And... If Tyler Lydon can't play defense, you're not going to find ways to get him on the floor and get him involved. My big thing is if he's not shooting, he can't do anything. Like anything. he can't do anything from the mid range. He can't finish at the rim. Like it's and it's... I don't trust guys from Syracuse at all because of their because of the zone that they run. Right, and right. I've never seen guys from Syracuse with the exception of Carmelo Anthony, who's one of the you know 55, 60 greatest players we've ever seen. Yeah, I just not going to. But go he's not one of alone. the fifty five greatest defenders we've yeah. ever seen. You know, right? right. Like I, I, I think that. Limited. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's going to be a good defender at the NBA level, no. and so yeah. What what does he become? I, 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 yeah. I'm I'm pretty skeptical on Tyler Lydon. I had to tell one of their like poor student journalists who called me about him yesterday. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, okay. Here's a kind of similar guy to to Tyler Lydon, DJ Wilson. Yeah. Uh, again, also stretch four. I I just he's is is it fair to say that he's soft? Well, there's some. He's not a banger by any means. He doesn't have the body to be a banger. Uh, and there are some questions about his rebounding. I like him. I like him a lot more when I watch him than I do Tyler Lydon's. Yeah. He just he has more of a, every single possession he's touching the ball offensively or defensively. And I I just saw that when I watched him and I thought okay that's I like that in players and maybe that's just because I'm dumb and I need him to touch the ball to actually see what he's doing. But I see that whether the ball's running through him because players trust him to touch the ball and then make the right play through that, or the coach says, hey, he's got to touch the ball every trip down the floor, otherwise we're not going to get a good offensive possession. And the point guard play, I think it was Walton at Michigan this year, was left a lot to be desired. Yeah. And Michigan, actually, there's some questions about drafting players out of Michigan. Some, something they do with their offense hasn't necessarily translated to having great NBA players, and we've certainly seen that over the last couple of years, where they've had guys who look like great prospects, Trey Burke included, mm. and very few of them turn out to be what you expected them to be. But I like T.J. Wilson. I certainly like him more than Tyler Lydon. Uh, I think he can shoot the ball. I think he can do enough athletically, rebounding, blocking shots, running the floor. He's got really good touch around the rim, too. Yeah. That's one of the things that he's athletic around the rim. He can You can knock him off his spot, and he still knows how to finish kind of wherever you put him. I like guys like that, and I'm not sure Lydon's that same type of player. I Again, I worry about him defensively, essentially. Yeah. Um, who I, I don't think that he showed enough there. And and honestly, he was better than Trey Lyles, again, as a defender. Yeah. I, I'm Basically, I'm, I've started to compare these like stretch four types to Trey Lyles, whether that's fair or not, given that Trey's only in his second year. Yeah. But is he going to be better? Is, is, is the outcome going to be better? Is he, is he a better shooter? Is he a better defender? Is he a better playmaker? Um, and, and cause I, I think there's some similarity with, with the body, 
um, and, and the kind of player that he wants to be. I'm a little bit worried by the assist total, only 1.3 assists per yeah. game. Um, but, heck, he blocked some shots. Good standing I, reach, 9-1. Yeah, I, I don't think he'd be the worst pick in the world at, at 30. I'd be a little bit disappointed at 24. Uh, and again, you're drafting in the 20s. So, I mean, the idea right, that you're right. going to get a guy who does everything well is false. Again, uh, yeah, and I think he's if I think he's about a similar prospect to Trey Lyles. I really do. Yeah. Um, and that is a whole lot more appetizing at 24 or 30 than it is at 12. So talking about that for the Jazz, is there any position at 24 or 30 you wouldn't draft? Because the Jazz, I think, are in a weird spot now where when they were drafting in the lottery and they had this young group and, you know, I think Boston might deal with it a little bit now and some of these teams are going to be drafting uh, at 5, 6, and 7 that have a bunch of young players. Maybe you steer your prospect away from them and say they just have too many players at your position already. Like even a point guard going and working out in Minnesota right now, well, they just drafted a point guard as the number 5 overall pick last year. So why do you send your point guard there even though they still need a point guard? I think the Jazz... Aren't, I don't think the Jazz are in that boat anymore. Remember, I think, Dante Exum didn't work out for the Jazz right. because they had Trey Burke on the team. Uh, Marcus Smart didn't either. Right. Uh, I think the Jazz can draft a player at any position. Is there one position, though, that you think would be the worst for the Jazz to draft at? It's either point guard or center. Uh, just, I mean, point guard, you you look at it and you, you have to keep Dante... If you keep Dante Exum on the team next year and draft a point guard as your, as your first pick in the draft... Then you've got two point guards with that are young and and very iffy to contribute, right? And neither of them are starters, right? You have None, to still have a starter, absolutely. So you're probably drafting a guy who's going to be the third point guard, and the Jazz already have a really good third point guard, and right. Alonetto, right? They're going to bring back next year, maybe uh, pr- a good chance, I think. Okay, yeah, I Decent mean that's the thing is that guy has to be better than Howell Neto, which right probably away, not, which going to be. he may not be, right? And for a team that is going to need. Some play at the backup point guard. You know, they're going to need a backup point guard. You already have two on the roster, um, and you sure you have a starter, whether that's George Hill or you know Drew Holiday or Eric Bledsoe, who we talked about earlier on in the show. Um, you need someone to play those backup minutes, and it's hard to count on both Dante and a in the twenties rookie pick. The only other guy I would, and, and you said center. Even then, I would take I would take one of the centers at twenty four or thirty. If you, if yeah. If, Bam is there, or if EKA Anikbogu is there at 24, and the Jazz took him, I'd say, you know what, I, I get that pick, because you're just going to have 48 minutes of guys who can run to the rim and dunk the ball and are big bodies and can play defense, and I'd take all of those. Yeah, I'm, I'm more fine with it than I said in my first segment. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what, the only other guy is Juwan Evans. The only, that's the point guard that you're probably talking about right. between 20 and 30, mm-hmm. that there's even a question about drafting at that point. Yeah, um, and, he's and he's coming in, it's reported that he's coming into the Jazz to Saturday. work out Saturday. He's awesome. Um, he, he is you like tiny. He, he is that's, really tiny. But he's a good shooter. He's a good passer. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he, here's my fear. <laughs> this is really my fear. I loved uh, Trey Burke coming into the draft because uh-huh. he was so smooth with the ball in his hands. Yep. And I thought, that's a guy who I think I can, can come in and translate. And you keep hearing this. You heard about Chris Paul. Or you heard about Trey Burke. Poor man's Chris Paul. Right. You like him as a, a poor man's Chris Paul. And he's just obviously not that player. Right. And he never turned into that player, and he was really bad. But just because he was smooth with the ball in his hands, I thought he looked really good. You know who else I really liked? And I'm just I'm not afraid to tell you what I got wrong in the yeah. draft. A lot of these guys get wrong. I liked Eric Maynard. Hmm. I just loved how he looked coming out of VCU. I look at Juwan Evans, and I'm like, man, that guy's smooth <laughs> with the ball in his hands. And he could really play point guard. Yeah. And then there's a reason he's being drafted at 24, and he just washes out of the league. Yeah. That's my fear with Juwan Evans. But... Small point guards in the NBA, and I'm not just going to say, hey, Isaiah can do it. Well, yeah, Isaiah Thomas is a freak. I don't think being a small point guard in the NBA is the death knell it may 
have been in the past because of the, the I think it's rules. maybe more. Of oh, a you think it's now. worse? Okay. Yeah, I, I really do. I think the the point guard position is bigger than ever, and so those guys are at more of a disadvantage okay. consistently night to night than they were in years past. Um, I I think Jawan Evans is he may be the best shooting point guard in this draft. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Uh, again, the size thing really yeah. bothers me. And does he and, die and on every screen? Yeah. yeah, so obviously dying on every screen is a big deal. The other thing that gets me is Isaiah Thomas has like this incredible magician-like ability to finish at the rim. Get shots Despite off being five seven. Around or through anybody. Yeah. Uh, Jawan Evans doesn't have that and didn't have that against college defenders. He's something like 20th percentile in finishing at the rim. And so what you, you have to start guessing at what he's going to be. And I, I, they're just, you know, maybe, you know, I think best case he's Aaron Brooks. Sure. And you know that would be pretty great, right? He's for a, again the thirtieth pick, right? But, but yeah, you're not thrilled with you're that not 30. thrilled even either. Yeah, but chances are twenty four and thirty, Jazz would be lucky to get one guy. Right, the Jazz are gonna be lucky to get one guy there, and then you hope between your two second round picks that that guy plays forty games in a single NBA season. I want to talk about this next week more because I think it it really will change more of of, of what the Jazz want to do in this draft. But I think I think it's unlikely that the Jazz keep both 24 and 30. Um, and and so talking about some of the trade possibilities that they could use these picks for, and, and we'll start to get into that, like I say, more next week on, on next week's show, because uh, honestly we'll have more rumors to talk about, guys, and have a better idea of what that trade market would look like. For right now, I think it's just a good idea to look at these prospects and see who's good and who's not. Another guard, by the way, I don't like at all, Terrence Ferguson. I think he's garbage. Okay. <laughs> I think he's that's a, a little hard. No, I think I I mean, okay, maybe not as a human, but as a basketball player, he's he's a bad basketball player. He's a again, he's one of these weird guys that's a super huge recruit that disappears and then comes back and is expected to be a star. But he wasn't good where he went. That's my big thing is he went to Australia, which is a a land where I mean, I'm not going to hate on Australia for our all of our great Australian jazz fans, but the Australian league is not of sure. the highest quality. Bryce Cotton was the MVP there last year. Uh, Terrence Ferguson averaged 4.6 points and yeah, one assist or yeah. one rebound. He put up a 5 PER in the Australian League. Yeah. It's it's just not good enough. 6'7", uh, 185 pounds. So you're it's talking about athletic. a ton of body. I mean, he needs a lot of work on his body, though, before he ever gets on the floor. And then didn't play that well when he was out there. But maybe he just doesn't have the body. And some of these leagues, and this is something I've, I've learned talking to Walt Perrin as well, some of these leagues just have better physical players than yeah. not 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 better than the NBA. Don't get me wrong; you have to be an elite physical specimen and be elite skilled to get out there. But they have a lot of really physical players that if you try and go play in China where men play and you're a kid, it's just not going to work out. You're not going to get an opportunity to really play that well until you get a little bit older and and know how to play the game. But I mean, even Moutier succeeded at, the, at China when he you know he injured himself halfway through and only played twenty yeah. or so games. But he was he was decent. He you was know, decent. he was he was a fifteen. And he's a terrible. He's NBA an average player. guy, and he's a terrible NBA player. Terrence Ferguson is a terrible player in Australia, and which is I think it's a, probably about a similar league to China. I don't, maybe a little bit worse. Do you think there's um, any risk that the Jazz draft him? And all honesty, I don't. I don't either. I just want to hate on a kid. If he was there at 42, I still wouldn't take him. Jazz might take him. I wouldn't because he's him. a huge upside kid. And you, you say, yeah, we think he's got a good body. He's got an NBA body. Sell and more Australian that you can't jerseys. Pick out. And yeah, maybe you just keep the Australian thing going because the Jazz for the Adelaide like there's, 36ers. There's something I mean, there, even though he's not hometown. from Australia. Right, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I, I don't think that's a guy who the Jazz are going to take a shot on. That's a guy who Portland should draft. Because they've got three draft picks in the first round, and you just don't want all three of them. But yeah. if you somehow can't get rid of them, and you say, you know what, he's there, he's got 
maybe you think because he hasn't shown anything, he has enormous upside, which is something everybody does. Mm-hmm. When the less they've shown, like Dante Exum, exactly. the higher their ceiling is. Maybe you say, hey, we think we can develop him, and we can develop him slowly, and if he never turns in anything, fine, because we had three first-rounders, and we like the other guy that we got. If I was like a long athletic basketball player, I would never play. Dante Exum did the single greatest draft prep that any NBA player has ever done. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of a better way. And going to Australia and saying, you know what, I'm going to make some money is good, but if you get exposed, you fall to the end of the first round. Right. Or maybe you don't get drafted at all. Uh it was flowers. Uh, How about yeah, Ennis? Sure, right? and Cantor did it great too. I mean, yeah. these guys have; they do play basketball at some point, right? Those guys were drafted based on their international game right. contributions, but it's like a five-game sample. You know, right. it's it's you didn't have a lot of game film on either of those guys. But Dante knew he was going to be a top ten pick. He got his agent to probably pay him two hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand sure. dollars to live in L.A. for a year and be a playboy or do whatever he wanted to do. Work out with some guys. Let rumors float out that you're working with Kobe or whatever. You're working with mm-hmm. a guy who worked with Kobe, and then all of a sudden you're a top five pick, and you never have to work out for anybody. Yeah. Anyone else in this draft you want to talk about? I want to talk about everyone in the everyone, draft. Okay. Well, let's come back. And we got a break. Let's talk about the guys in the top ten that we really like. That maybe if the Jazz were to somehow finagle a move into the top, let's say eleven, that's kind of where picks sound like they might be available. Yeah. If a guy starts to slip down the board, it's not Lonzo Ball, it's not Markel Fultz, but there's another guy outside of the top three or four players. It starts to slip, maybe the Jazz could target. Sounds good. We'll talk about that next on the South City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you. Uh, we wanted to talk about uh, the, the top ten guys we like. If you know, if someone were sure. to slip, start slipping in this draft, you look at some of the potential picks that could be available at the back end of the lottery. Um, who are those guys that you would go up, give give away some assets in order to get from a from a Jazz perspective? And what assets would you give up? So if we're talking about, let's say, and, and here's here's the pick that's been rumored to be be available, and that's number twelve, and that's the Detroit Pistons because. They need a George Hill type. I mean, they just need a guy who can come in and makes you better and helps you win because they've mm-hmm. got Tobias Harris. They've got Andre Drummond, though some people think he's terrible. Some people think he can probably be productive. Whatever. They should be better in the Eastern Conference than they have been. They yeah. need something to bring it all together, just like the Jazz did with George Hill, and all of a sudden they were a top five, top four team in the West because they finished top four in the West. Uh, I think the Hornets pick might be available as well because there's a chance that Zach Collins is sitting there at number 11 as the best player on the board, and I think... Hornets fans drafting another tall white guy who's supposed to be able to shoot the ball is just... They, they honestly might not be able to make that pick. As stupid as that sounds, at some point you just can't draft, what, four, three, four white guys in a row that are supposed to be centers that don't play that position or power forwards that don't do what you think you're going to do. Yeah, and more importantly, you know, you've got Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins, and it just doesn't make sense to draft a center there if, if that's uh, sure, The Hornets, pick. not the Pelicans. Oh, sorry. The Hornets. The, so so they bad. get to that point where, where they... They say, I got to trade out of this pick, and it's worth me getting a guy who we think can be a-, a contributor on this roster. Gotcha. What are you willing to give up to get to 11? Uh, Derek Favors. Okay. Uh, you probably have to give maybe, up another first rounder yeah, with Favors. 24 or, or 30. Favors. Um, maybe both. Would you entertain Rodney Hood straight up no picks to get up to the top 12? Yeah. Honestly, because your your problem with Rodney is that he is a free agent after next year, right. and instead of paying him three million dollars a year, you have to pay him fifteen to twenty million dollars a year, and that's that's hard given Rodney's output. Let's say you get 
Joe Ingles resigned, and that's going to happen. I would I feel pretty safe because Joe Ingles wants to be here, and the Jazz want to have him here, right. and he helps you win. He might actually be better than Rodney Hood, though Jazz fans don't want to say that. I mean, he's a better defensive player than Rodney Hood he is. He was better, certainly, this season. He's a better shooter than Rodney Hood is, even though Rodney seems to have these, you know, kind of that microwave ability to get red hot. So does Joe Ingles. Joe yeah. Ingles was red hot all year. Now, yeah, to be clear, I think Rodney Hood... It's you know we'll probably have a better career than Joe Ingles. Sure, um, but Joe Ingles started his career at twenty eight with the Jazz, right. twenty six with the Jazz, and right. Rodney Hood started at twenty three. Again, right. a little bit older than people think, but and there are some questions about Rodney Hood's durability going forward. Yeah. I, I think there are some. And like you said, if you sign Joe Ingles and you have the ability to sign Gordon Hayward, which the Jazz I would say should still be the favorite to to bring him back, you're not paying Rodney Hood next year, and That's... you're hoping to trade him for what you got for Ennis Cantor. Right. That's so, that's the biggest problem. If you can trade him for a top twelve pick, I might look to the future a little bit and consider making that trade, even if you don't think you're getting that level of player back, no question, but it might be worth that type of risk. And I think both Charlotte and the Pistons might be able to use a guy like that. I do think in order to make that trade, again, everything comes back to keeping Gordon Hayward. So if you make that pick Rodney Hood for 12, then I think you, you need a secondary pick or a secondary signing or a secondary trade coming up that allows you to add to the talent of the roster in some other way. Sure. A, a win now guy, yeah, a guy who can help you play right away. Exactly. Um, is there a guy who not, is not named Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, De'Aaron Fox, or Josh Jackson? Because I think those are the only four who I am guaranteeing won't slip out of the top six. Yeah. Is there a guy outside of that that you think if he's sitting there at number eleven, you gladly trade Rodney Hood for, or you gladly trade Derek Favors in a first round pick for? Uh, Markinen. I really like Laurie Markkinen. I really like him. And he, he, I was talking to Andrew Johnson earlier in the show. If you missed that interview, uh, find it. We're going to tweet out the link to the whole show uh, coming up after, after we end here. He's the type of guy, and I believe this in draft picks, even uh, other than not everyone can do what they like to do, he's so comfortable shooting the three and is so good doing it. There's just no future where it doesn't translate in the NBA. Yeah. He just is going to be a good shooter in the NBA, and he's going to be big. You said he's he's if Myers Leonard was a good player. Yeah. Okay, I love that. If Myers right. Leonard's a good player, I love that guy. I'm not sure he's quite as athletic as Myers Leonard is, but he can. I, I think Markinen's going to be a really good NBA player. I don't think he's Dirk. Don't get me wrong. Right. If he was Dirk, he'd be the number one overall pick, and we forget how ridiculously good Dirk really was. Uh I think Markkinen's a guy who, if he's there at 11 or 12, I'm on the phone and I'm going crazy if I'm the Jazz to try and get up there because he fits perfectly with Rudy Gobert. He moves the ball. He's a smart player. And then his number one skill is the Jazz is a skill the Jazz desperately need at the four, and that's his ability to shoot the ball and shoot it a ton, have no fear doing it, yeah. and, and he's just a perfect fit. Yeah. I, I You didn't mention Jason Tatum in that top four, but you know I, I don't think he's getting to 12 right. in, in any world. Um, but you know, if he somehow did, then he's obviously, I think he's a really good fit for what the the kind of player that the jazz want to use there. I actually have some questions about him as a prospect, but I think those questions exist in the top five level, not in the top 10. Sure. There's a reason he's not being talked about at three so much, but yeah, there's no, there's no conversation where he's there at 10. Yeah. Uh, so, so how does, how does a guy like that slip? How does a guy like Markinen end up falling down draft boards when we know what the top 
four picks are most likely going to be. Someone has to fall in love with somebody, right? And maybe, you know, you say, maybe someone says, I like Zach Collins more than than Markkanen, which honestly is is not a take that I I think it's a take I disagree with, but not by a lot. Zach Collins is a much better rebounder. He's a much better shot blocker. He's probably more of a traditional big man. You say, yeah, I'm going to build around that guy. I think he fits a lot better. Sure. And then the magic aren't going to take him, you know, maybe the Magic. And I could see the Magic taking Markkinen, absolutely. But, yeah, let's say they fall in love with Jonathan Isaac and take him, and the Timberwolves say they could either trade that pick to somebody else who doesn't need Markkinen, or, or they, they say we need a point guard. Right. And for some reason, we love Dennis Smith. We're going to take him there. Or they love Frank Natilakina. They love him there. The Knicks aren't going to take him because they've got the unicorn already, and they're not going to go out and, I think, draft another big man who can shoot it. They they need wing help. Yeah, I mean, they need everything help. I, I, I think... If you get Markkinen next to maybe you, you sell a seven footer kind of front court and make it interesting, but maybe Dallas doesn't um, take Markkinen because they think like it's it's too uh, cute. I, I think they would. I absolutely think they, they would. would. But maybe they say it's not fair to say, hey, you have to be the next Dirk, and that's what everyone's already saying. They say, yeah, okay, not do it. maybe, but also again, I you don't take you. a player because you don't not take a player because you think he's going to be the next Dirk. I mean, sure, it's unfair to the guy, but. You've got Dirk to learn under sure. for another season. Uh, but if you think Markin is strictly a four and you think that's where Harrison Barnes has to play to be productive in the future, maybe you don't draft the four there. Maybe. I mean, to me, I, I can see a world where Markin gets to, say, 10 or 11. Right. And I, I don't that, see a world where he gets to 12. Okay, so but at 11, you're talking the Charlotte Hornets, and I think if you're looking at a prime target to trade maybe. Rodney Hood, he played in that area. They need a small forward who can score alongside Nick Batum. I mean, they're talking yeah, about... Not- they're talking about Shabazz Muhammad. I mean, that they are talking about making it, uh, you know, trying to get him. I would much rather have Rodney Hood than Shabazz yeah, Muhammad. So if they're targeting that, you might be able to get the eleventh pick straight up for Rodney Hood. And if Markkinen's there, I would, I would really work hard to pull that trigger. See, yeah, and and maybe I'm, I'm not the Hornets. If I were the Hornets, I'm looking to do some high variance stuff, right? Like, because right now they, they've kind of got a lot of guys under contract for a long time who are pretty average. And I'm looking to try to get whatever star power. And maybe Markkinen's not that guy because I don't, I don't know if Markkinen's a star in the NBA. And but you still go for in my mind, you know, Dennis Smith, uh, Nikolitina, uh, Zach Collins. Sure. You know, someone who I does do think has like legitimate kind of that top fifty potential that Andrew Johnson talks about. But I think those are the picks that are available. I think eleven and twelve have a shot to be available. And at eleven, one of those guys in the top ten is going to fall out. Because someone, yeah, is going to fall in love. John Collins from Wake Maybe. Forest. You know, someone's going to fall in love with that guy, and he's going to pop up there. Or there's going to be real red flags about Malik Monk. There are some interesting players yeah. in the top ten. Malik Monk's an interesting guy. Yeah, Malik, I agree. Because um, he can just really score the ball. Absolutely. He can do that and is is one of the better shooters we've seen coming out of college. And then, you know, doesn't have the length, doesn't have uh, the defense to see where. I could see him falling out of the top ten. But if you're talking about a high-variance player... Absolutely. Malik Monk Malik might Monk be is... the number one guy you're talking about. Yeah. And if he's there at 11 or 12 and the Hornets say we don't want him, maybe you or Do the or, Jazz want him? Okay, he's the he's the pre-build player. He's the swing for the fence player that you say we had him ranked number 6 on our board, higher than three places higher than we think everyone else in the NBA had him. Or we had him at number 5 on our board. See, but I I don't know that you can I don't know that he's the kind of player that the Jazz would have as as 5 or 6 on their board, right? right? Like but, sure but, but, can but, score I, He's not. He doesn't do any of the other things that would make right. him into a quote unquote jazz player. Quinn or Dennis always talks about jazz DNA, sure. whatever that means, right? I don't see that in Malik Monk. I agree with you, and I think Markkinen's certainly more that guy than what Malik Monk is. But if for some reason this Jazz say 
there's a crazy value at six. That we think Malik Monk is the sixth best player in this draft because we think everyone else has these red flags and he's worthy of being a top six pick. And he's there at 11. And we are trying to, what I say, pre-build, which is you think you're going to lose Gordon Hayward and you want that guy who can be a 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA and has that opportunity to be a go-to guy and showed it over and over at Kentucky, taking over games in the second half. Maybe you say, yeah, Malik Monk's there at 12 and we have to have him and we will give you favors in a first-round pick or maybe even Rodney Hood to try and get that guy back. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, th- those are the two players that I think have a, an interesting skill set that the Jazz could use right away. Is Malik Monk and Markkinen. Markkinen. Markkinen shoots the ball. Malik Monk obviously really shoots the ball as well and might have a chance to be more of a scoring star in the NBA than he gets credit for. Yeah. Uh, uh, not that he gets credit for. That's what he's getting drafted for in the top 10. You're looking for the best pure scorer in the draft, and, and he might be that. Right. Which, yeah, is a skill set. I mean, it's, yeah. I I, th- I think he's going to be a NBA-level Probably sixth or seventh man, and I think Worst case, there's a right. Lou Williams is kind of what I think exactly. everyone says, and I, I would agree with that. What's what's a rich man's Lou Williams look like? There's not a lot of guys like that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's, yeah. I, I I mean I struggle with it, and again, that's probably a pretty good outcome for like a an eleventh pick, but yeah, really good. Anyway, um, who else is is there? In is there anybody else? I mean, for me. If, like I say, if Jason Tatum slipped that far, I just you like Jonathan Isaac a lot. I do. That's a great point. Uh, thank you for letting me talk about Jonathan Isaac. What do you like about him? I like that he's a, a the production as a freshman um, is actually really good. Um, and people talk a lot about what he can't do sometimes. I think, and I think people worry that he's not a number one player. Um, but it, just kind of defensively, I think he he is special. I think he's going to be one of those guys that can switch all over the floor. Uh, it's you know six eleven with a seven two wingspan, nine nine foot standing reach, um, and I, I just think this guy. I I can really imagine how he fits into the NBA. But what does he do offensively at all? Cutting right. I mean, cutting transition kind of stuff. Yeah, right. It's yeah. not great. I, I just I worry about that guy as the number six overall pick, which a lot of play, places have him, or seven right. right now, and teaming him with a, a team where he doesn't need to score on the I'll, Minnesota Timberwolves. I, I guess that would make sense. I hate him in Orlando. You know, I, yeah. I hate him where they need an umph guy, and right. he's not. He's not that, that. for sure. I, I think you can say I think he can project as a jump shooter. So you know, it's thirty five percent from three. That's not great, certainly, but he he took enough of them that it, it's not like it's a it's a nothing. Um, and he was decent from the free throw line, so the the three point projections aren't awful. Um, I kind of imagine him as is is Aaron Gordon fair, um, which is why you you hate him in Orlando. <laughs> maybe yeah. Uh, Aaron Gordon was amazingly skilled at Arizona, and Florida State hasn't necessarily churned out a bunch of great NBA players, and Arizona does. I mean, I really look at that because that means the coach who's there and has been there for a long time. Recruits NBA guys right. and knows that. Florida State doesn't do that. They've even got Dwayne Bacon, who's, I think, Alec Burks 2.0 and, and kind of an interesting player, but that's who he is. He's just a downhill scorer. Mm-hmm. I, I worry about Jonathan Isaac maybe a little bit more. Tiny hands, kind of a weird thing, so he's mm-hmm. not going to be a guy who probably operates a ton. Like Maybe he's Luke, Richard, and Bob Mute, worst-case scenario. Which yeah. is okay. That, you Which know, is okay. Luke was it's, starting in a playoff series. But it's hard for it. You know, he was, he was the worst help starter. Orlando. Right. Yeah. They don't need that. And Jazz might, but... And if he's there, but I'm not sure if you're trading up, thinking that right. maybe you're getting Mbamute because I think you feel like you can get better players at 24 and 30 if you've done your scouting right. Yeah, I I do like him a lot. Um, I I just because I do think I I can imagine what he is at the NBA level, and it, it's a definite contributor. And then you can build on that. Um, and again, I'm a stat guy, and the stat models, big fans. Uh, I 
I think it's fair to say you don't want to give up everything to trade up for that kind of player. Yep. All right, we got to take one more break on the show. We should actually talk about the NBA Finals a little bit, huh? plus the Jazz. <laughs> yeah, what are those? What? Uh, and then the uh, Jazz have a NBA free agent minicamp tomorrow okay. and Saturday. We'll talk about some of those fun names there. Psycho T's coming to town Okay. next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. It's the last segment of the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson and Ben Anderson with you. We've been talking NBA draft all day, but we are still in the NBA Finals. I didn't want to talk too much about the NBA Finals just because I feel like... in the Finals. Yeah, I I feel like everything that can be said has been said about the Finals. Obviously, the the Warriors are an all time great team. Um, I Maybe think the all time great. You team. can argue that they are the all time great team. And you if know, they, they sweep the Cavs, sixteen and zero, and they beat LeBron. I right. mean, again, I, I I'm telling you, when I look at LeBron, I have to remind myself, like, replace his name with what if that was MJ? Because I think he's that much better than everyone else on the floor. But the Warriors are just so good. Yeah, I I I, mean, I don't think that if you know it's a ninety six Bulls here, this is a Substantially different outcome. Maybe or if they you win had ninety six Michael, right? And you had him in place of LeBron. I don't think there's a significantly different outcome because what do they do against all these players? Again, LeBron had a 39-11 and yeah. nine last night. Oh yeah, he almost had a triple double at the end of the first half with twenty five points and yeah. he missed three shots, and it just didn't matter, right? Because <laughs> they're that good. They're just the that, that much better than everyone else. And that's yeah. You know, like we'll kind of have to. I don't know if we'll avoid talking about it in the future, but this Warriors team is going to win. This NBA Finals and is going to win the the next next NBA Finals. Probably the favorite after that, right? Uh, And so that's just the NBA world that we live in. And you know, you can be philosophical about that and and shake your fist at the heavens and the lack of parity in the NBA. But it is it it is what it is. Did I just say that on the radio? And again, not to not to say this is how it's always been because it hasn't always been like this. I mean, we've never seen Kevin Durant join the Warriors. We've never seen that happen before, but the Lakers made, what, eight finals in the 80s? Mm-hmm. I mean, they made something crazy. I, I think they did seven or eight finals. It wasn't like there was this great parody. Right. And the Celtics were, you know, making it, almost, what, five or six times, I want to say, in the 80s as well, and if it's not, it was the Pistons. So it, it was not like there was unbelievable parody at that point either. But I will say that the playoffs were more interesting then, right? Like you, all the Lakers went to seven in, I think, every single one of those runs. And didn't um, win all of them. And didn't win all of them, yeah. right? Um, you know, even in that you have a seven round, seven game series against the Jazz, right. you know, way back when, right? Uh, where that Jazz team wasn't really ready and still right. kind of surprised the Lakers. Right. So you're not getting that with the Warriors. They were more because, captivating. There yes. were more captivating playoff runs than what has happened here, which has been nothing. And and there's no, there's nothing that exciting about what we saw last night's game was the best game we've seen so far in the finals by far. But otherwise, I mean, they've made everyone look like the Jazz. I mean, the play. Right. I mean, and even the Jazz probably kind of played well. A couple of the games. Now the Spurs had they had Kawhi Leonard. Maybe that's different. But yeah, that, I don't think they win the series because they have Kawhi. No, I mean they, there was that the game one was close. You know the Warriors won by two, and they were up twenty four points with Kawhi, right. and then lost that lead. Right. But still, they lost that lead. I mean that's even without Kawhi, you shouldn't lose a twenty four point lead. Right. Any NBA team. It's really, quite frankly, you know, you you put the Sixers out there. They're not minus fifty per. On your possessions. But we are set up for the greatest comeback of all time. And like we solidifying, are. if LeBron wants to be crowned the greatest ever, he wins this series. Yeah. I'm not saying that would do it. That would do it, though. That, not saying he has to or, or I'm going to hold it against him. I'm not. Right. But if he were to do it, 
there's just no conversation that he's there's there's no chance he's not so firmly in that conversation with Michael, and he's already there. Yeah. I mean, I think in most people's eyes, he's already there. He's going to be hurt by getting swept by the Warriors here. But if he were to come back and win four straight against this team because he's just that miraculous, then there's just you you put the crown on him. You say it's he and Michael, and that's it. It's a little bit sad that the last NBA game of the season is likely to be tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but the draft is close. That's what's yeah, good about is- that's what's fun about having your team that you watch and root for or cover make it to the second round of the playoffs mm-hmm. because they aren't eliminated so early in the season that you start watching draft players on what April in February. 1st. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to the point where you've been talking about Mark Hill Fultz, and not not that Boston has because Boston went to the Eastern Conference Finals, but right. let's say the Nets had kept their pick. I mean, they're talking about Markel Fultz in December. Yeah. And that gets boring. That gets old. That gets hard to do. It's nice that the Jazz got eliminated so late, and then it kind of seems like a quick turnaround, and the draft is here. Yeah. And, I mean, it's still, it, the draft isn't even the number one thing regarding this team, right? It's it's Gordon right. Hayward. And right. so you you still got a lot of interest. You know, this is, uh, people say it to kind of keep the interest, and it's not quite true, but it, it really feels like a year-round sport at times. With at the least, exception of September? Yeah. It's really August and September. Yeah. And even in September, the guys come into town for yeah. OTAs. Right. And, and August for, or October 1st, you kind of camp opens up yeah. generally for the most part, and then you're ready to go. Yeah. July is great because the su- there's July is summer league. Summer league. You've got a month Orlando, of summer league and free agency. Utah, and then yeah, and then you get to go to Las Vegas. So yeah, and there's so there's stuff there. It's yeah, it's August and September that are a little bit rough, but yeah, the rest of the time, I mean, we get more page views on draft and free agency stuff than we do during the season sure. stuff. Um, the Jazz have a free agent mini camp tomorrow and Saturday with a couple like kind of interesting names. Twenty of these twenty-five players were D-League players last year, um, but there are some fun ones. Uh, Tyler Hansborough, Psycho sure. T. It's, it's, was a, a didn't play in the NBA last year, but it's kind of interesting that he's doing these was kind of workouts in now. Toronto, uh, Charlotte, I think was Charlotte. his last team. But anyway, he is he is he played on the West Coast? He's Not, only been an Eastern Conference I don't think guy. So. Indiana, yep. Toronto, Charlotte. Uh, R.J. Hunter was drafted 28th on only 2015, every like two jazz, seasons ago. Every Jazz fan's favorite player two years ago. Right. R.J. Not Hunter, in the NBA. Can't miss. Uh, no, can't make. Can't, 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 <laughs> can't make. Right. Yeah. Uh, who else you got? J- Jarnell Stokes. We talked about him earlier. Former Jazz second round pick. Aaron Harrison, one of the Harrison twins. Right. Um, both of them are bad. Uh, Aaron yeah, is sure the worst either one. Either are NBA players. Right. Uh, somehow Andrew played twenty minutes a game for the the Grizzlies this year. Well, yeah, they they had point guard. They points. were bad. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's kind of a fun list of names. We'll have coverage on that on KSL.com. We'll talk to some of those players during the media availability oh. tomorrow morning. Clay Anthony Early. One yeah. of my favorite college basketball players of all time. Really, he can. Uh, he, okay, Clay Anthony has a chance. Okay, that's the guy. That's the name who might might reemerge in the NBA. All right, I like it. All right, that's our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can listen to the show as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Check us out on SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, signing out. ESPN Seven Hundred.